This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. we are feels weird i forget how to do this it hasn't been that let's long. go <laughs> it well it has been kind of long september babe wow that was the last episode of so this is cultured but not really unqualified lessons in history and pop culture i'm your host brian edwards triger <laughs> And I'm your other host, Stephen Edwards Trigar. Well, yeah, we got married since the last episode. So to to give people a little insight, the reason why it's been radio silence for so long, uh, we got real busy with the wedding. Mm -hmm. We got married in early November. Yeah. And by the time September happened, we were already exhausted. And then we had a wedding in October and then a wedding in December. And with the holidays sprinkled in, life got hard. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not it's not necessarily that. It's just sometimes there were time there were times that we just needed to we needed a break. Yeah. We so. thought after the wedding and then after the holidays, and this is the first week since we've been back where there's not been a holiday in our sights. Yep. So we're back. Yeah. We're hoping to get back into the swing of things. And I'm starting things off strong in 2023. Yeah. With the history of gaming. And we should clarify because we've already done a video games episode. We're not before. doing video games. We're not doing video games. This is I wanted to do a board games episode. And then I was like, that's hard to point out what I want to point out with the time that we have. Yeah. So I thought we'd just do like the history of games from like a societal standpoint and also like board games slash tabletop gaming and, you know, just touch on like all aspects of gaming that we haven't talked about. Yeah. So. So let's talk about them. Cause it's, there's a lot. Yeah. I have a lot of notes about, I, there's a lot more history than I should have. I should have anticipated, but I didn't cause. Well, when you, when you're, Talking about history, you should uh, prepare yourself for a long haul. <clears throat> and but I'm, I've condensed it down to as much as I can condense this down to, and still I think be palatable. Okay, we'll see what ends up on the cutting cutting room floor. But I think we should get started now because gaming has been part of humans' culture for so long. The origins of gaming are pretty much lost to prehistory. Yeah, I think I think as long as there have been humans, there have been games. Basically, um, and specifically when I talk about like board games, several possible board games predate actual written descriptions, and a lot of rules to the, these kinds of games have been just lost to history. So there's no definitive beginning to this story, but board games likely originated in ancient Near East, which is what we would just call the Middle East, mm -hmm. the Mesopotamian area. Um, based on archaeological findings, 
Uh, there was a series of 49 small carved painted figures found at the 5,000-year-old Bashar Hoyuk burial mound in southeast Turkey, which could represent the earliest gaming pieces ever found. Hmm. So that's how far back we're, we're even beginning to think about. Yeah. There have been similar pieces found in the in Telbrak and Jemdet Nasser, which are other similar sites in uh, in the in the region, um, but they were also isolated. It didn't have any distinct function. Mm-hmm. Um, but the researchers have called these finds uh, dogs and pigs, because I guess that's what the figures looked like. Yeah. Um, the earliest board games uh, were often thought to be a pastime for the elite and were sometimes given as diplomatic gifts, according to studies uh, published in an academic journal called Antiquity, which is a specific academic journal dedicated to the subject of archaeology. Mm-hmm. Uh, another possibility is that board the boards themselves were, were, were the boards themselves were reserved for the elite, but lower class would play them on boards scratched into the stone or into the ground. Because hmm. if anything, most people would probably understand, like, you don't necessarily need the board to play the game if you know what the board looks like. Yeah. So a lot of times that's what would happen. Uh, there are archaeologists that uh, have found stones carved with long rows that date back to 7,000 BCE and 9,000 BCE, which people which they think were used for a mancala style game if you've ever played mancala mm-hmm. it's a fun one mine i played that a lot growing up yeah you ever played it not that i can say i mean i've seen it but yeah it's a relatively simple game but it's it's fun nonetheless um the oldest known board game to have ever existed is a a game called senet which was found in pre-dynastic and first dynasty burials of egypt both respectively being dated to 3500 BCE and 3100 BCE. And this is pretty much the oldest board game to have ever existed. And to further this, uh, Senate was pictured in a fresco painting found in Merknera's tomb, which was seen uh, thought to be have built between 3300 and 2700 BCE. And the first unequivocal painting of this game has been... Uh, dated to the third dynasty in the tomb of Hesse, which was born between 2686 and 2613 BCE. There were people depicted playing Senate in a painting in the tomb of Rashapes, as well as other tombs in the fifth and sixth dynasties, which roughly in the 2500 BCE era. Um, but the oldest intact Senate boards date to the Middle Kingdom, which, time, which dates to 2055 BCE and 1650 BCE. Um, at least by the time of the New Kingdom in Egypt, in 1550 to 1077 BCE, Senate was conceived as the representation of the journey of the Ka, or the vital spark, uh, to the afterlife. Basically, that's what they thought these games were a connection of, this, mm. this game of sending your soul to the afterlife. It often was depicted in, in paintings in tombs, which for that very reason. Um, but this connection to... Uh, is made to the great game text, which appears in a number of papyri, as well as the appearance of markings of religious significance on the Senate boards themselves. So a lot of this early idea of gaming actually does center around a lot of religious context, which was something I found out through my research. I didn't realize how much connection religion had to it. In fact, according to a sociologist, Durkheim, 
games were founded in a religious setting and were the cornerstone of social bonding. So yeah. it's the early days of religion being where you would congregate and where you would meet with your fellow people and yeah and you know where the the idea of religion and community come together is just one aspect of the way humans have always sought out connection yeah and i know we we have those exact kind of connections ourselves with friends that we have specifically because we play board games with them yeah i'll i'll jump in to say that it doesn't surprise me that games had a religious connotation to them before now, especially when they were created because literally almost everything in the ancient world was connected to religion in some way. Oh yeah. Even, even agriculture. Yeah. Um, or whatever, whatever mundane thing that you think is likely connected to the religion um, they just happen to find certain things and f- like use use the earth for certain certain locations, but everything was well. And a lot of the board games that we have seen and have dealt with since are often like representations of religious moral ideas. Yeah, I'll get a little bit into that later, but. There's a game that India gave us that we that we still play to this day that has direct like moral like obligations and representations that yeah. go deeper than you'd expect the game to go. Um but in terms of like game games that we are still playing and still have uh that we have the sort of origins of where they sort of came out of uh ancient India gave us the predecessor of chess which was called Chaturanga. Um, which was possibly developed in the in the Indian subcontinent or Central Asia during the Kushan period, which was 30 to 376 CE, or the Gupta period, which was three uh, 320 to 550 common era periods. Chess as we know it was introduced to the Iberian Emirate of Cordoba in 1822 CE, which is basically like modern-day Iraq yeah. in that area kind of... Um, and that was during the reign of Abd ar Rahman II. And by the middle of the 10th century, it was being played in Christian Spain, Italy, and southern Germany. By 1200 Common Era, it was uh, being played in Britain and Scandinavia. And initially, there were many different local chess games with varying rules, um, such as things like courier chess and dice chess, which added extra elements of hmm. rule playing to the game. Yeah. Um, but modern chess uh, began to take shape in Spain and Italy during the 15th century with the adoption of the standard queen and bishop movements, which was initially called Mad Queen Chess. So that became the, the standardized way to play chess hmm. as we know it today. So yeah. if you ever have want to be extra ridiculous, you can always ask your friends if you want to play Mad Queen Chess and really piss them off. Or if you want to play Short as Aussie Chess. Yeah. Which... I guess you'll have to look up the rules. Cause yeah, <laughs> I don't know anything. I wouldn't know how to play that one. Mad Queen Chess, I could probably grasp. I mean, that's interesting to call it the Mad Queen Chess because the queen is the only one that can do well, like it, literally anything. Yeah, it's like the most like aggressive piece. Yeah. And that's the point, I think. It's yeah. Because like, it's the queen of all characters. Like, think about this time period being the 1500s. Yeah. 
or the four, 15th century, I should say, the 1400s. Yeah. The the queen, like, being the crazy one was more of, like, a concept of, like, yeah. you know, how women were treated that time. Because if a king did the same thing, no one would bat an eye. If the yeah. queen does it, it's, she's crazy. Yeah. Um, but we can pretty much date things like playing cards down to uh, the invention of tiles in China as early as the ninth century during the Tang dynasty, which was roughly 618 to 907 common era. And the earliest uh, unambiguous uh, version of paper playing cards date only back to the, to 1294 common era. So mm. before there were paper cards, they were made out of uh, tiles, which were mm. usually either made of like ceramics or bone, depending on the game. Think Mahjong. Well, funny enough, that's where, you have your modern game of dominoes that came out from the same era of Chinese tile-based games. What appears to be the earliest reference to gaming tiles are mentioned of the quad pie or the bone tiles used in gambling in Chinese writings no later than 900 CE. The earliest definite reference to Chinese dominoes are found in the literature of the Song dynasty of 960 to 1279 CE. There's a lot of dates in this, this ep. Yeah. So just trying to emphasize how, how far back a lot of this, these things go. Yeah. In fact, the Western style of dominoes are uh, a more recent variation, with the earliest examples being uh, of early 18th century Italian design. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Leave it to uh, the Europeans to take something, change it, and then distribute it to the world and then make it or a modern thing. Exactly. I mean, that's not their fault. No, they just, this is how, the, I mean, you'll, you'll see with a lot of the, the things I'm going to talk about coming up, it's very often a game from, from an ancient place is disseminated to an area where they... Well, that's... I, I can... I know as somebody who does study history, I, I know that a lot of those Middle Eastern countries would go around and they would emigrate to places in, in Europe. And so, of course, we get European things. I mean, especially in, in Spain mm-hmm. um, and in Italy, other 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 more, more Mediterranean well, parts and, of Europe. But And this is also at a time where, like, trading in general was, like... Right. That was what people did. Like, that was their whole... Right mission for going out into the world was to just trade their wares with other cultures and trade it for other cultural items. Um, But I'm going to do a little time jump now because there's so much history to go through that it would just be, it would be the worst thing that what people would want to listen to if I did (laughs) the entirety. So I want to jump ahead to sort of where like, commercial gaming starts because that's where I, mm. I kind of wanted to highlight anyway. Yeah. Um, so the first like biggest instance of, of commercial gaming comes from the ancient Indian game of Pachisi, which was brought to the West by Br- the British in about the uh, 1800s. And an adaptation of the old, of this game was called a uh, Parchisi, which was first copyrighted in the U S by E.G. Selchow and Co. in 1869, which mm. if you've ever heard of Parcheesi, it's 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 kind of the first instance of the kind of like colored token 
like sorry style of game yeah. where it's like you have your multicolored pawns that you act as your game pieces. Um, another version of the game was called Ludo. It was patented in 1896. And a similar German race game, which I will try not to butcher the pronunciation of, is Mensch Arg Dieknicht, which roughly translates to man, don't get annoyed. Mensch Arg Nicht. I was close. I, mer- I anglicized the fuck out of the pronunciation, but I, just... I'm, I, I cannot say that I pronounced the second word right, but dich nicht. I do know that one. Yes. Mensch. Um, Mensch dich nicht. But this game was immensely popular with German troops during World War I. Uh, so I'm assuming they would play it during their downtime and in between battles and yeah. in the, the trenches. In the trenches. Um, Another Indian game, and this is one I meant, I sort of met, briefly mentioned earlier, another Indian game that was adopted by the West was called Gyan Chapur, which, again, I don't fully know the pronunciation. I try my best to look up pronunciations of everything, but I don't always get good findings. Yeah. Um, but this game, Gyan Chapur, was popularly known as Snakes and Ladders. Yeah. Which was a game intended to teach the lessons about karma and the good and bad actions, the ladders representing virtues and the snakes re- representing vices. The moral lesson of the game was that spiritual liberation, or moksha, could only be achieved through virtuous action, while vice led to endless reincarnation. This game dates back to medieval India, where it was played by, the, by I'm guessing it's Jains uh, and Hindus. <laughs> yeah. Jains? That sounds... That's not, that looks right, James. It's it's what I, I again. I don't always get pronunciation. It's an, it's another religion that came up in India. J A I N S. That's and, how you spell it. So if you I, know how to pronounce it. That's how it's yes, spelled. I apologize again. I, yeah. I don't get luck when I find how to like find pronunciation and. Uh, but, but we know how we know how to pronounce Hindus. Yeah, and. Uh, and similarly, because it's of the area this game became popular in, Buddhists and uh, Muslims also had their own versions of the game with similar meanings. Although theirs were often, often with many versions, had slightly very different variations. Yeah. Um, this game was first brought to Victorian England, and it was published in the United States as Shoots and Ladders, uh, in quotations, improved the, the um, an improved new version of England's famous indoor sport. Indoor sport okay. by games pioneer Milton Bradley mm-hmm. in 1943. I think we all know if we've ever played board games growing up, we all know who Milton Bradley is. Yeah. Um, and for those who don't, he was a very famous board game designer. Yeah. Basically, created many of the games we still play today. Right. Uh, and uh, just. Turn, basically turned board gaming into a profession yeah. for a lot of people. Um, I, I will say I don't know much about the man, so I don't That could know. be a whole new episode. It could, but I also know that if there's anything like culturally bad about him, I will say right now, I do not know. Yeah. I just want to go on record and say, I do not know this man. And not sorry to, be, to this not, man. Not to be Kiki Palmer, but sorry to this man. I don't know much about you. <laughs> and if you are someone in history who has, who has become un, un, unkindly looked back upon, I apologize if that that is merely my own ignorance to this whole situation. Just wanted to say, 
because it's more often than not you have the people that age badly. Um, I am in no way celebrating or condoning this person, only that he did do what I said he did. As yeah. Be a forefather for board gaming. Yeah. Continuing on, the first board game for which the name of its designer is known is called A Journey Through Europe or The Play of Geography a map-based game published in 1759 by John Jeffries, a geographer and writing teacher. Nice. Which I just thought was a nice introduction to, to where I want to head towards, where we start to see the early beginnings of certain gaming tropes. Um, another popular game that uh, became a prototype for commercial board games for at least two centuries was a game called The Mansion of Happiness, which was designed in England by a man named George Fox in 1800. Um, it just basically became a framework of like how games should be designed mm. as like a framework. Right. Um, the first board game published in the United States was a game called Traveler's Tour Through the United States, published by uh, a... New York City bookseller named F. Lockwood in 1822. So again, you start to see that people are like, well, we don't have much to know how to build a game, but we got maps. Yeah. What if we did guess the maps? And early board games were pretty much just that. Um, but a lot of the earliest board games published in the U.S. were based upon Christian morality, uh, which included the Mansion of Happiness, um, but there's another game that they published that I that I had the name of that I needed to share you. I I briefly mentioned to you this last night when we were talking about the episode. But the name of this game is The Game of Pope or Pagan or The Siege of the Stronghold of Satan by the Christian Army. <laughs> which was designed in 1844. I just thought that name was like, one, as long as a Panic at the Disco song name would be. But yeah. also is just so extra. Because that's the full name. The full name is The Game of Pope or Pagan or The Siege of the Stronghold of Satan by the Christian Army. Yeah. <laughs> it's so extra. People were so funny back in the day. and yeah. They didn't even mean to be. Um, but to, to move forward, uh, while demonstrating the commercial viability of the ancient race game format, which were games like Senate, they're the considered race games. You're racing to the finish, similar right. to like shoots and ladders. Um, the, the, the moralistic overtones that those games had were countered by Milton Bradley in the, in 1860 with the in introduction of a radically different concept of success in the checkered game of life. Yeah. Which would, go into becoming the just known as the game of life game or of life. life as it is now called. Um, but this was a game where material successes came as a result of accomplishments such as attending college, marrying, getting and getting rich. And that was kind of the whole concept of the game. Instead of it being about, you know, morals from a religious standpoint, it was just about, you know, showing how the better you do in life, the better you ch have your chances of winning would be. Yeah. Which is still the game's concept now. Yeah. Uh, a game that I'll talk about that was first patented in 1904 called The Landlord's Game, mm. uh, which was designed by Elizabeth Maggie, was originally intended to illustrate the economic consequences of Ricardo's law of economic rent and the Georgist concept of single tax on land value. Uh, do you know what game this is a predecessor to? Monopoly. Yes. Uh, 
1933, the board game created uh, a version so much like the modern version of Monopoly by the Parker Brothers. So, I only really know that because I have watched a documentary on Monopoly. <laughs> of course you have. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, that's just going back to the early 1900s is the early introduction to a game like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first commercial version of the game Battleship, which was originally called Salvo, was published in 1931 in the United States by the Sterex company. But the game itself actually dates to before World War One, when it was played on paper by Russian soldiers. And that's where a lot of times it's easy to see how games started off as a very basic premise, just pen to paper that then companies took and yeah. expanded and made like full board versions of. Yeah. Now, uh, another game that came up around this time was a French board game called La Tech. La Tech. Uh, see, I got it right. Yeah, you do. Um, do you, can you guess without reading ahead what this game uh, ends up becoming? Um, I mean, it. Unless you don't know it. It was first commercially released in 1910. Uh, it was designed two years prior as a military themed imperfect knowledge game, which was actually based on an earlier Ch- Chinese children's board game, Dojo Chi. Um, it has been ad- adapted uh, into and b- by Melton Bradley as Stratego. Oh, I don't think I've really played Stratego, so okay. I don't know. Well, our listeners will know what Stratego is. I mean, I know it, but I don't think I've ever played it. Um, and then a, a game. I'll, I'll I'll say this. What is if you had to guess what the, the a, a game named Jury Box is without reading ahead? What the, he clue. It is Clue. Jury Box, published in 1935, was the first murder mystery game which served as the basis for a game like Clue or Cluedo, as it was originally published as. Hmm. And then there is another game that uh, started as a French version called La Conquête du Monde, yeah. which translates to The Conquest of the World, which became uh, the game Risk. Mm-hmm. which was first originally released in 1957, but was published under its English name in 1959. Um, and then as we move into the more modern era of gaming, um, in the late 70s and 80s, there was a movement towards a German-style board game, or what's called a Euro game, uh, which led to the development of board games such as Carcassonne, The Settlers of Catan, Agricola, Ticket to Ride, uh, and Puerto Rico, which are all games based around the idea of trying to accumulate assets and resources and build a map that is in favor of your side of the game. Mm-hmm. Have you ever played any, any of these? Um, Carcassonne. I've played, I've yeah. played three of them. So Carcassonne is a game where you try to build your own map based off of the other yeah. players' tiles, and you try to make your, your size the biggest. Sellers of Catan deals with trading resources to gain land and to gain basically to take over the the the, the game board yeah. uh, ticket to ride is a is a similar game where you're building train tracks and trying to accumulate the longest thread of your own cars to make your own like longest train right. across the the whatever game map you play on um i can't speak to agricola or puerto rico but those those are early examples of this this uh 
game movement that we still play these games today. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the modern board game culture, like within the last 20 or so years. But I think because it's been a little while, I think it's time we should take a break. Yeah, we're right back. Yeah. And not just because we're back, because we're back after a break. We're really back, bitches. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's talk about modern board games. So I just wanted to sort of talk about the, the gaming industry because we're going to talk about our own like experiences and our own mm-hmm. our own modern board gaming things because we are uh, a bit of a fan of the board game. Yeah. Of the boarded game. Um, and it's pretty well known that the board gaming market is smaller than that of like video games. Um, but it has experienced a significant growth from the late nineties onward. Uh, a a 2012 article in the guardian described board games as making a comeback, but other experts suggest that board games never went away. And board gaming has, has always remained a popular leisure activity, which has grown over like significantly over time. Another uh, article from 2014 gave an estimate that put the growth of the board game market at between 25% and 40% annually since 2010. And uh, it also described the current time as the golden era for board games. Uh, A rise in board game popularity has been attributed to quality improvements, more elegant mechanics, components, artwork, graphics, as well as increased availability thanks to sales through the internet. Crowdsourcing for board games is the largest faucet of the market and raised $233 million on Kickstarter in 2020 alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 1991 estimate for the board game market was over $1.2 billion. A uh, 2001 estimate for the United States board game and puzzle market gave value of under $400 million and for the United Kingdom about £50 pounds 50 million pounds um in 20 uh in 2009 estimates for the korean market put it at 80 million yuan and another estimate for the american board game market found that the same year that it was about 800 million mm. so in just eight years doubled its its size in the market a 2011 estimate for the chinese board game market was at over 10 billion yuan and a 2013 estimate put the size of the german toy market at 2.1 billion euros and out of which the board game and puzzles market was worth about 375 million euros. The Polish market was about 2 billion and 280 million zloty, which is the Polish currency. And per capita in 2009, Germany was considered to be the best market with the highest number of games sold per individual. Interesting. So just kind of wanted to highlight the the market trends of board gaming because it has gotten huge. Yeah. I mean, we were recently at uh, PAX Unplugged, which is a board game convention that takes place here in Philly. Yeah. And it was not, it was Steven's first time going. Uh, yeah. We plan on doing an episode about our experience at PAX um, for our Patreon, but yeah, it's become a huge thing. It's become massive. Yeah. And especially when you add into that, the idea of gaming from like 
Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop RPGs that are you don't even have to have a board or a, t- a table technically to play. The game is only ex- increased, especially if you think about games that are video games, but are games like Jackbox games, which kind of fall more under board game style gaming than yeah. video gaming. The only real difference is that you do need technology to play that game. Right. Um, but there's game, board games that utilize that same technology that are still considered like a board game. Like we have one of my favorite games is Where Words, which is a take on 20 questions uh, and the werewolf mafia style gaming yeah. of like like uh, role playing and trying not to be found out as the the the, the one enemy character that everyone else is trying to figure out who it is. Um, but that game, in order to play it, you need to have a phone because the phone dictates how the rounds are run. Right. Um, there's that. Um, and even like we have a game that we got, and I don't know how good it is because we got it this past PAX in a, in a mystery bundle, but it's a game called Hollow Grid, and it's played as an, as an ARG or an augmented reality game, and it uses your phone's camera to, to show the, like, it's supposed to be like a monster battle duel kind of game. And it's supposed to be like, use the phone as your view into the monster arena. Right. Just adding, adding elements that expand on like the modern idea of what a board game or, a, or, you know, a game you play with friends would be. Right. Um, so I figure we take the rest of this little bit of time left to just sort of have our own talk about our, favorite games we've played games we grew up with personal connections to gaming and i just thought you know like i know i'm someone who is has has played a lot of games we have friends of ours that throw board game parties every few months that they have like every board game known to man um their whole basement is just floor to ceiling board games yeah and i've gotten the the opportunity to play a lot of different games yeah my personal favorite games are any sort of co-op game. Like I know I introduced you to you uh, over our holiday break, Eldritch Horror. Yeah. Which I really like playing that game. Yeah, it's fun. It's just very stressful. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's the kind of game where it's, it's very easy to it's lose. It's unforgiving. It's very unforgiving. You're constantly getting more negatives than you get positives. With the hope of eventually getting your win condition, which it's all based on, and this is a very popular theme, but it's based on H.P. Lovecraft. Um, there's a whole like there's so many games in board gaming that are H.P. Lovecraft inspired. So I mean, not my thing, but I get it's I get its uh, appeal to other people. Yeah, and I, to me, it's a little played out at this point. But for me, the gameplay is what I like about Eldritch that you could literally swap in any theme and I would still have the same amount of fun. It's just the concepts of that game are supposed to be like right. indicative of an HP Lovecraft mystery. Right. Um, there's cultists, there's elder ones that are being summoned that you have to stop. And there's like monsters that you have to fight that are all, you know, that all do just as much mental damage as you do physical damage. And yeah. Um, I know you're a big fan of Illmat. Yeah, it's been a while since I've played it, but I I did enjoy it. I think I enjoyed its art style more than I enjoyed actual playing it. But honestly, that's sometimes 
what makes a better game over a mediocre game is just having a good art style. Yeah, which was part, as you said in in the historical part of your episodes, why it became so much more popular is because art started to get better. Um, yeah. Even and that, some of the concepts of games are just like so much more interesting nowadays than... Like, I literally have a game called Concept, which falls into the same vein of, like, Pictionary or um, charade-style gaming. Yeah. Where instead of having to draw or act out, you are given a clue. Like, it could be a movie, it could be a person, it could be even a phrase. And using the pieces it provides and this big board of concept images... You have to sort of tr- get people to follow a train of thought using these different colored, these uh, pegs that are fashioned as both question and exclamation point pieces and similarly colored cubes that you're trying to help people like go on a train of thought to get to the answer, which right. I've played. I know we've played a, a couple a of number times. of times. I know we, we play a lot with my family, too. It's a our holidays seasons have typically become a board game hangouts yeah like uh this past christmas we were at my parents house and we played a, a game called herd mentality yeah which was fun was we also played uh chameleon we also played chameleon um both of which are games kind of that showcase like human psychology in a way yeah this herd mentality is a game where you're given like a prompt and you have to sort of answer based on whatever you think everyone else would answer. And if you don't, you get a punishment basically. And in yeah. the form of a, of a fun little squeezable cow. Yeah. But you have to be the only one. Yeah, the to only give that. one. Yeah. And it's point based. You get points if you're in the, in the majority and you get no points or anti points. If you're in the, the, yeah. Minority, I won the first round. You did by a large margin because <laughs> you just know you know how to think about what people as a mass whole would think. Yeah, um, Chameleon was a game where it's another. There's a whole genre of hidden role games, yeah. which is what werewords werewords would be, and that one is similar where uh, everyone but one person is given a card that has a a grid of like. It's a key for the game. So you get a card that has uh, a theme and then a bunch of f- items that fall into the theme. So I, a thing would be like TV shows and then all of the, the, the words on it would be a different TV show. And they associate a A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 kind of grid. And you roll dice. They match up with the cards that you're given that tell you what your, your player is. And that tells you what the clue is the only person that doesn't know what the clue would be is the chameleon. Cause they get a card that instead of having that grid of the, the key to help you figure out what the clue is, is given a card that just says you are the chameleon. So you have to hope that you have some sort of, uh, indication based on how everyone else is playing that, you know, what's going on or you'll be easily found out to be the chameleon. Yeah. And everyone goes around one at a time and says one word about the clue. And then the, chameleon tries to fit in or get found out yeah and that's it's one of those games that's fun and 
if you get one over on someone and you're the chameleon, it's a little bit of a rush. It happened yeah. to me a couple times. Yeah. I don't think I got, I don't think I survived as a chameleon anytime. No, you were very easy to give away. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there was one time I, 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 it was like, like, a, uh, it had something to do with flowers and you had no idea. So you thought it was like rocks or something and just immediately gave yourself away. And it was, yeah, I don't I remember. remember it being very obvious. Yeah. I tried. Yeah. And that's all. It, I mean, at the end of the day, you just have to like resign yourself to the fact that if you're not given enough clues or you don't have the, the way to connect to the actual clue, you just have to try to wing it and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, since you mentioned it, I'll go back and talk about games that we played a lot when we were growing up. Um, probably the biggest one that we played a lot was a game called Racco. I yeah. honestly can't remember. I have no idea how to play it. I remember having to like order your cards in a in an ascending order in this little rack that you would get, and you put your cards in the little little compartments. Um, we also played Sorry a lot. We had a, a computer version of Sorry. I would play it all the time. Oh, uh, we did play a lot of video games. Sorry, we didn't play a lot of video games when I was a kid. So we played a lot of board games. Um, I played a lot of board games on the computer. We also had the Game of Life on the computer, and I played that a lot growing up. We had um, we had Trivial Pursuit. We had that. We played that a lot. Oh, I played that a lot. Um, we played a lot of Monopoly. My brother and I would play a lot of chess. Um, I remember us having a board game. I don't know the rules. I think just because every time we would pull it out, we would just kind of just try and find all the places that we knew. But it was a board game that was kind of kind of like kind of a mix of like risk and monopoly, but it was based around mm. Scranton. So I think any time that my, my siblings or I would pull it out, we would just like not even play the game. We would just, um, just try to find all the places that we knew. That sounds like how little children would play a game like that. Um, there was another game called advertisement where, you would have to try and guess the the brand of something based off of their slogan, mm. which became really hard at our age because the game was so old. Some of those say, slogans that, that were age out, that feel like that ages out fast. Yeah, um, but the, yeah, that, that one that one became hard after a while because of that. So we didn't play a lot of trivia games. We were we would be big on like Pictionary. We still have a, a, a an inside joke. With my family, and you've heard it. I don't know if you know the full story of the Dollar William. No. Um, my we used to, we would play that game with Grandma, Grandma Pat. Okay. Um, and it was one Easter, I think we were at her house and we brought Pictionary, and my my dad and her were on the same team. My throughout my entire life, my grandmother has always called my dad, whose name is William, Bill. Okay. And they had the clue. Dollar bill. Well, and because you have to get the full name right, he drew a dollar and then pointed to himself. And my grandma 
decided because she's Grandma Pat and she always knows how to just twist the clue off of what should be the most obvious into the obscurity. She just kept going, Dollar William, who's on the Dollar William? Who's on the Dollar William? And and we were losing it because this is not only is it so easy and so obvious, she never called him William. She always called him Bill. So we thought it, he thought it would be the easiest. He was like so confident. First try, we're gonna get it, no problem. Yeah. And it was just such a, like my you could see my dad's confidence go because he just drew the dollar, away. then pointed to himself. Like you're not supposed to use gestures, but we were letting them have it, and it ended up being one of the funniest moments we had. And we still talk about it to this day every time yeah. we break out board games. Um, but even that we we played like you did play a lot of life. Uh, the actual, not just the, the computer game, but the actual game of life. Um, we played. A lot, I played a lot of board games with my grandma. We played like Rummy Cube, which mm. was like Rummy, but with like tiles. Yeah, I've played Rummy a lot. Um, Tripoli, if you ever played Tripoli. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's a lot of like Old Maid. You play like those kind of card mm. games. Um, Old Maid was a game that my grandmother had that we played a lot when we would go to visit her. Um. I feel like there's more that I'm forgetting, but it's just it's just one of those things that we that I know it's and it's even weird to think like I don't think enough people realize that they've probably played a lot more board games than they even realize. Yeah, I will say that despite all of the games that we did have, our family was a family of just playing card games. Yeah, a lot of rummy, a lot of war, I a lot love of solitaire. War. Um, no, we didn't, we never got into poker. No, and yeah, I didn't care about that. Um, we would occasionally play blackjack, but that was kind of it. Yeah. Um, we never really played anything that you find at a casino. Yeah. But we we did we did play a lot of uh, it was a lot of playing card games. And it's funny to think about because I just just sort of just remembered, but I it was like in the back of my head. Growing up, we in, in the back of our family room at one point, my dad had like a big table set up that was like meant to use like one side was a regular wooden table and the other side had like the place for like tokens and the big green mm. felt mat that was like meant to be like where you'd play games on yeah um and that was something that was in the like it used to be in the back of that on my parents family room for yeah years um if that's any indication as to the games that we played at at my family on christmas day yeah we played Mao, which I had never played before. Yeah, I didn't love that game. Even though I won, I didn't really like. It. I know you didn't. I just—it's a game that you like. You're not—you're supposed to learn how to play it while you play it, and you're not given anything. And you've already, you've already lost a game. Well, because you're not supposed to tell the rules. Well, I, well, fuck that. No one knows what the <laughs> game is anyway. <laughs> well, the whole thing is like, if you know the game, you know how to play it. But yeah. If you don't know, you're supposed to learn while you play. Yeah. You can't talk, which is another thing that I hate is games that like add something like that into the mix where it's just like, and you get yeah. punished if you like say anything and you just get your cards back. Well, sometimes you get more than that back. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then we also played, uh, well, we semi played incoherent, um, and yeah. taboo. So, so my family, has gotten to the point where we don't play incoherent the correct way. Real quick, for those that don't know, incoherent is a game where you're supposed to guess the clue based off a very butchered like phrasing of it. 
it's yeah they take they take the like a, a word or a phrase and they break it down they, like they break down the syllables into other words that could possibly sound like that syllable uh and so you've got to read it you're supposed to put up the card have everybody read it and have everybody try to guess what the word or phrase is based off of that drawn yeah. out butchered up version of the the correct answer but from from my family we've gotten to the point where i'm the only one reading out all of the the cards uh, like the front end of the card and everybody has to try and guess it based off of how i pronounce it yeah because i apparently read it very well yeah. um which i know i do but you just have an elocution yeah and i usually figure it out and then pronounce it in the way that would probably be easiest for everybody to to get yeah but um we also played midnight taboo we used to play a lot of taboo as well midnight taboo like it's just like just, weirdly just, gross. Let's just go back to the regular game. It's like unnecessarily adult. Well, not just that, but they do have some like very mild cards, which makes it harder because when you yeah, play a game like that, you're like, well, everything is everything a dirty answer or is everything are, are we playing? And so then that makes it hard because you're like, okay, am I keeping it tame or am I making it dirty? Right. And then Cause sometimes it's just like the, the, the clue is Instagram, which is pretty benign, but then sometimes it's like titties. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a hard thing to like, cause you're immediately trying to clue into what it could be. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I tend to try and shy away from the after dark midnight, like scandalous versions of the games because of that reason it's just yeah it's weird it gets it's not because of them being dirty it's because they get so because it's marketed as a game that is supposed to be dirty that you get confused well that's why i enjoy and i haven't played it in a while and it's certainly the kind of game that gets old really fast but that's why i enjoyed playing like cards against humanity with my family because yeah. we are all at the same sick level of thinking where we all find it humorous. It's just the kind of game that gets stale after a while. Super quick, yeah. Especially if you don't get any of the expansions. Yeah. Because the whole point of the game is to be the funniest and to be the shockiest. Like, yeah. shock everyone with, with, with how ridiculous your answer is. Yeah. But then when you, like, there's only so many times you get, like, Toni Morrison's vagina as the answer that you're like. Or bees, question mark. Bees? Or Batman, or pixelated Bukaki, or any of those things, and suddenly it's like, <laughs> ha ha ha, funny, funny. That's yeah. real funny. Like it, the the yeah, it's a game that requires to continue more expansions, or you're gonna get really tired of right. it really fast. And that's happened often. Which I'm surprised that that game is still surviving. Um, I think it's because enough people keep learning about it that they find they 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 are the ones that find it funny enough to buy, and then yeah. they bring it to their group of people and or they find new ways to use it like laying a bunch of cards down on uh on the floor and having your cat swat at the one that yeah on which yeah anyway um but 
a game that I never played until we got until I got older that I didn't think that I would have as much of a enjoyable experience at until we started playing it was Dungeons and Dragons. I loved D and D. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, just regular tabletop uh, and, RPGs. And I'm excited to get back to it because the pandemic shut a lot of that down for both of us. And yeah, well, bo- a lot of a lot of board games in general are incredibly social, which yeah. is their point. The point of them. I've always said that D and D is one of the most social thing nerds can do. Which is another reason why. Excuse me. Another reason why I personally think that board games have had such a huge resurgence is because of how yeah. social they are. Well, it's like you can play it over the internet, but it's much more difficult and annoying. And it like gets you to kind of get out and hang out. Like I used to play with friends. Uh, I I went through one full campaign of my entire life of playing D anD D, but one they have I. We would hang out, we'd have dinner, we'd goof off, we'd have a couple drinks, we'd have like, you know, fun. And then we do that like every month and a half or so. Right. And it just became something to look forward to. It's like an event that you can plan and and we're actually trying to start one back up. We're not going to do a podcast about it because there are too many D&D podcasts out there. Yeah. And But there's a game that I bought at PAX Unplugged called Lord of Alt- Altera. Uh, the Lost Druid, which is part one of a four-part campaign. And I'm looking forward to running it with friends that I've already yeah. gotten a group of people that seemed interested about it. Right. But it's just, it's fun to see people make their own stories and develop their own lores and worlds and see what people do with this stuff. Yeah. I think that's it. Is it time already? I think so. Oh, well. Well, thank you to everybody for tuning in. Welcome back. Yeah, we're going to try to get back to our regularly scheduled yeah. release of like every two weeks or so. Um, this is getting back into the swing of things. Thanks for sticking by us. And I know I think I tweeted that we'd be back after our our wedding, but then I just... But then we just but didn't. We just did didn't. we just didn't? So then that's the holidays, all we have to say. It got hard, y'all. Uh, and then um, thank you to Daryl Banner for writing yes. our theme music. Thank you for our music. We still love it all these years later. Yeah, and a, an extra special thank you to our Patreon supporters for continuing to support us through our break. Um, yeah, and we weren't posting anything else on content, uh, but. Um, we still appreciate you sticking around with us, um, despite not having posted any content as of late. Um, but while I pull up all of the bonus content that you can get, because it's been a while, I'll have Brian tell you a little bit more about our Patreon page. Well, we have we don't have that many tiers because we don't do a lot, but we uh, we have a. I think a $1 tier is just general support and a $5 tier, I think it's discounts on, on our merch. Um, but you can find all of that at patreon.com slash really cultured. Um, again, we don't really try to make money off this. We just kind of hope that people would help support us just kind of break even. If anything, we just do this, this kind of thing for fun because we like talking to each other anyway. And, and now I wanted to start this show because I just felt like I, 
I talk a lot anyway, and I like I like having conversations like this with Stephen. And yeah, you know, I just found like it might be something interesting for people to listen to. I know we're a very specific kind of voice in this podcasting field that is pretty oversaturated anyway. But yeah, again, I just thought it'd be fun. We're not trying to be yeah anything crazy. So to be more specific, we do have a th- we don't have a one dollar tier, but we oh. have a three dollar tier, oh. um, which gets you. I'm sorry, I was wrong. That's okay. Uh, we um, a three dollar tier gets you ad free versions of every episode, plus bonus episodes. Um, similar, t- uh, more specifically, uh, episodes that where we just get to have fun a little bit with some of the topics that we've discussed we plan on trying to do more um and uh one of the the only bonus episode that we have out in that category is an episode where brian um and i well brian asked me about all of the 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 uh, fantasy literature worlds and what i thought would be the best one and we did a bracket bracket game where i compared. fantasy world showdown 2022 yes. um and uh the bonus episode that we're going to be doing on our experience at pax unplugged is going to fall under the bonus content that you'll find in our five dollar tier which gives you all the same stuff that you got in the three dollar tier but you also get 20 percent off in our merch store and you also um, get these type of bonus episodes where we talk about experiences that we've gone on. Um, we review certain pieces of, of media, um, like books and, we, and TV shows. This and, is all what we plan on doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we're, we're getting into. So if you are wanting to support us, we would, thank, we would thank you immensely. But these are the things that you can expect from us when you sign up to our Patreon. Yeah. And anyway, that is a very long-winded um, way to get back into our Patreon. Uh, but there is one other thing that I would like to mention before we leave. Uh, besides my own other podcast, The Composer Chronicles, returning soon. I'm not giving a definite answer. Um, we do have an, another podcast that's part of the Alexandrian Media Library um, called Front Row Center. It's a podcast um, where my friend Michael Bolton talks with uh, a lot of other people in uh, the world of music and art, um, but interviews them all for the point of explaining and breaking down a specific opera. Um, it's, it is an opera podcast um, and nothing else. So, um, but it does talk a lot about the history and breaks down characters and uses psychology and all that kind of stuff to better experience, to better enhance your experience with opera. So uh, that show is part of uh, our group of podcasts. So if you're interested in that, you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for today. Well, I guess... I'll just ask you, listener, are you feeling really culture today? I know I am. Me too. Bye.
Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.